morning's scripture reading will be from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, if you'd like to be turning there. Acts 10, 1 through 6. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his house, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and alms and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. that uh, Alexandria and Zach are homesick. That's where they are, so if you keep them in your prayers, we appreciate that. Acts chapter 10 begins a very important part in humanity's spiritual history. That particular account of conversion recorded there give, is given a lot more attention than even the one uh, that happened on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and the one that is recorded in Acts chapter 3. Of course, up until that point in history, the gospel was extended to the Jewish people, and God had spent thousands of years preparing the Jews for that coming of the great prophet that was prophesied, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. But the gospel was intended for all people. It was intended for every person of the world. That promise was given to Abraham. And uh, that through him, all families of the world would be blessed. Genesis chapter 22. And of course the prophets spoke of a time when all the people would have uh, the opportunity to be blessed with the opportunity to come into and be a part of the covenant relationship, uh, be in a covenant relationship with God. Notice what Isaiah promised, Isaiah 2 beginning with verse 2. Now this is an important prophecy here. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Now this is Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits at the top of four hilltops. And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, into the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the prophet Joel foretold of the very events that happened on the day of Pentecost. Let's turn over to Joel chapter 2, beginning, uh, or notice verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in, the Mount, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. 
Now let's turn over to Acts chapter 2. Peter referred back to that very prophecy. He repeated those words during that first recorded gospel sermon, Acts 2 verse 16. He said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said, those things that Joel prophesied, this is happening right now. The things Isaiah spoke about, Joel spoke about those same things. And then it all unfolded in Acts chapter 2. But notice what both Joel and Isaiah talked about. They both talked about an obedient people. Being obedient to the Lord. If one was going to enjoy the benefits of being the Lord's people, they would have to be obedient to Him. We're told that they would walk in His ways. They would call upon His name, both of which are actions of obedience, right? Well, someone might ask this question, and I think this is a wonderful question, and we need to ask it. Someone says, well, what about this person or that person? They're good folks. I can't imagine this person or that person not getting to heaven because they're good people. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? So-and-so over here, he's a good man. So-and-so over here, she's a good woman. I can't imagine them not getting to heaven. I think that's a good question. And I believe that's one of the very reasons we have this account of Cornelius recorded for us in Acts chapters 10 and 11. Based on his actions and that of his household, we can know for sure what a good man did to gain salvation? That's a wonderful question. We need to know the answer to that. Let's take a closer look this morning at what a good man did to be saved. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. What a good man did to be saved. And I want us to notice first, a good man held himself accountable. That's our first point. How do we know that Cornelius was a good man. Well, first of all, Cornelius was devout. That's the very first word that is used to describe Cornelius. He was devout. That's not the same word now that Luke used over in Acts chapter 2. He used the word devout in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now that word is the Greek word called ulibes. Now that word means carefully and surely. They were extremely careful, they were extremely cautious not to offend God. Now we see that by their journeying hundreds of miles to go to that place, Jerusalem, to observe that required feast. Now Luke described Cornelius as devout. He used a different word. He used the word usabes, not ulibes. Now the word usabes means pious and dutiful, right? But without true knowledge. You can be pious. You can be dutiful. You can love God. But you can be pious and dutiful, loving God without the true knowledge of God. Now that's Cornelius, right? Cornelius didn't have a proper knowledge. He was a believer in God, 
But like a lot of the Jews that Paul described, they were zealous toward God, but not according to knowledge. Romans 10 verse 2. We see a lot of people in the world today that are zealous toward God, but not according to knowledge, right? We see it over in the Middle East, don't we? We see it happening right now. We see a whole lot of folks over there that claim to be zealous for God and are zealous for God. Not according to knowledge. They're killing folks in the name of God. They're cutting their heads off in the name of God. They're blowing people up in the name of God but not according to knowledge, right? But now, that's not what Cornelius was doing. He was dutiful. He was pious. But he didn't have the correct knowledge. Now, Cornelius feared God, meaning he was reverent. He was respectful. And he had a great love for God. Now, because of that, he determined he wanted to worship God. He wanted his family to worship God. He had decided that the appropriate way to worship God was through the Old Testament law. Now, he was uh, stationed in Jerusalem. He had decided he wasn't going to worship through the old Gentile ways of idolatry any longer. He had been introduced to to the Jewish way of believing, and he had in some way converted over to that. And so he began to practice the Jewish way of religion. And so he had introduced his family to that. And they lived in the same manner as Cornelius. I'm sure they were pious and they were dutiful and they practiced those same things. So he was a good man and he was well known for his benevolent nature as well. Notice Luke said he gave much alms to the people. Now that was an amazing statement that Luke made there. That was quite quite a statement for an occupation soldier to show that kind of uh, kindness toward the people that he was supposed to keep in subjection. That was quite a statement. That said a lot about his character. There's no doubt Cornelius was a good man, and that was a strong contrast to the usual soldiers that those people were normally coming into contact with. Cornelius was a good man because he was also a man of prayer. He had a prayer life that was very important to him. And now Luke said that he prayed to God always, meaning that he was persistent in his prayer life. That tells us that he was devout. He was a devout man. Now, that fact tells us that he was either a proselyte to the Jewish religion, that he had converted fully to that religion, or he was what is known as a stranger in the gate, that he decided that he would just simply follow after those practices and that he would follow as far as he could. Now, he wouldn't have been allowed into the temple area, but he could follow after that certain uh, law or he would follow the laws and he could do certain things. He just couldn't go into the inner temple. And so he would observe the Jewish hours of prayer. Now, keep in mind, and that's important for us to understand, Cornelius was a man of prayer. Okay? He was a man of prayer. He was a good man who had a good reputation. It was reported among the, uh, the nations of the Jews that Cornelius was a fair man and a just man, Acts 10 verse 22. So we know he was a devout man. 
That tells us just how much of a good man he was because the Jews were not permitted to keep company with Gentiles. So they would not have readily wanted to have kept company or to have associated with Cornelius. But he was a devout man. He had a great reputation. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who gave alms to the poor. He was a man who feared God. He was pious. He was dutiful. And because he was a devout man, he also wanted to discover what God wanted him to do. He wanted to be faithful. He held himself and wanted to be accountable to God. Now, during one of his periods of prayer to God, an angel appeared and spoke to him. It was somewhere about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was known as the ninth hour. At about the ninth hour or 3 in the afternoon, uh, now, we have to keep in mind this was during the time of the miraculous. During that period of time, it was not uncommon for God to speak to people who were not in a covenant relationship with Him. God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. God had spoken to Hagar. It was uh, uh, Sarah's handmaiden. She was not in a covenant relationship with God. God had spoken to Jacob's uncle Laban, he was not in a covenant relationship with God. He was an idolater. But that was not uncommon for God to speak to people that were not in a covenant relationship. That didn't mean he wasn't a covenant relationship with God, those people. But God was getting a message across to those folks. And so God sent an angel... And it appeared to Cornelius and he delivered a message. Now, notice this also. The angel called Cornelius by name. God knows who we are. God knows each of us. And Cornelius answered. He said, what is it, Lord? That was an address of respect. He wasn't calling him Lord as in Lord God. He was calling him Lord as in an address of respect. He was told that his prayers and his alms had come up as a memorial before God. As a remembrance before God. As a reminder. Not that God needed to be reminded, but as a memorial of the promise that God had made to Abraham. That through Abraham, all the families of the world would be blessed. That meant the Gentile nations. Now remember, Abraham wasn't a Jew. Abraham was a patriarch. So God knew that a good, moral man like Cornelius was devout. He had a desire to discover what God had in mind for him and that he sincerely wanted to please God. So understanding that he was a good man, God knew that he needed and wanted to hear, now notice this, words whereby he and his family could be saved. Now notice, we said keep in mind, Cornelius was a man of prayer. He prayed three times a day. He kept the Jewish prayer hours. Prayer can't save you, right? If prayer could save you, 
Cornelius would have been saved. He prayed every day to God, three times a day. But what did the, what did the angel tell him? Send for Peter there so you could hear words whereby you and your family can be saved. His high standards of morality, his kindness to others, his good character was not enough to save him from sin. In other words, not good enough to be a good man. It's not good enough to be a good woman. Now, is it a requirement to get to heaven to be a good man, to be a good woman? Yes. That's a requirement. But you can't be that on your own, right? You must also be an obedient man and an obedient woman. It's just like Saul of Tarsus who later on became Paul the Apostle, right? In Acts chapter 9, we see Saul of Tarsus headed down to Damascus. Now remember, he was a practicing Jew. He was going down. He was trying to find Christians. He wanted to arrest them, throw them in jail, and maybe even have them killed for being Christians. On that road down to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul says, who are you? I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. He said, what would you have me to do? He told him the same thing this angel told Cornelius. He said, go into the city and there it will be told you what thou must do. Now we'll get over later on into the chapter, particularly chapter 11 and... The Lord speaks to a man named, or uh, chapter 9, verse 11, the Lord speaks to a man named Ananias. He's a preacher. He says, you go teach Saul the gospel. Now, Ananias is afraid because he knows who Saul is. Saul is a murderer. He reminds the Lord of that when we read those verses leading up to that. He says, don't be afraid. He said, go into... Go into uh, uh, the city. He said, Go to the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Now here it is. For behold, he prayeth. Now when we look in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, he, Paul relays this same uh, account. And we learned through those other two accounts that he had been praying for three days and fasting. And he was still lost. Praying is not going to get it done, is it? Praying is not going to get it done. Cornelius was a man of prayer. He held himself accountable. He knew what it meant to be a good man. But now, what if Cornelius had just simply stopped at being a good man? The angel said, send for Peter. He'll tell you words by which you need to be saved. But what if he had stopped at being a good man? What if after hearing from the angel of God, he had just simply continued being a good man? He gave alms to the, to the poor. He was good to people. Had a great reputation. He loved God. He prayed to God. He was a devout man. But he was lost. Because remember, he needed to hear words whereby he could be saved. 
he would have continued to have been lost. But here's the good news. He didn't stop there. Cornelius acted when he was given the information. That's our second point. The angel commanded him to send men to Joppa to find Peter, bring him back to Caesarea, and he did not procrastinate. He didn't put it off. He didn't wait. Now remember, it's about three in the afternoon. It's a long journey over to Joppa, but he took or he sent uh, uh, one of his servants and a soldier because he understood the importance of obedience. He said, go now. Send. Go get Peter. Bring him back. Now this wasn't a small journey either. It was about 30 miles if you took the coastal highway. Now that wasn't the normal uh, route, so it may have even been longer than that. It may have been a trip of more than 30 miles to Peter and his message of salvation. But Cornelius did not procrastinate. Instead, he put the plan into action. Bring that person who can bring me those words whereby I can be saved. He wanted to hear them. He wanted to be saved. Again, he called two servants, one of his loyal soldiers, and he told them about the vision. He sent them on their journey, and he wanted to know what to do to be saved. He simply obeyed the commandment. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? Those who sincerely seek God will always listen to what God has to say. Now, sometimes God tells us some things that we're not used to hearing. Sometimes God tells us some things that is different from what we're used to hearing, and we may not like it at first, right? He waited for Peter. Notice verse 24 of chapter 10, "...and called and had called together his kinsmen and near friends." Now, he would have known the approximate time of Peter's arrival. He gathered his family. He gathered his friends. He had an audience waiting for those words of salvation because he wanted them to be saved too. When Peter entered the home of Cornelius, verse 27, he found many that were come together. It's important for the faithful to share the message of salvation. It's important to sow the seed of the kingdom. We've been talking about that in our class on Sunday mornings. Can you think of a more important subject to share with family and friends? That's the most important subject we can, we can share. So as the account of Cornelius unfolds, we learn of a good man who held himself accountable to God. He acted on the information given to him, but most importantly, we learn of a good man who accepted what he was shown to be the truth. That's our third and that's our last point. For God's message to be beneficial, here's what we have to have. We must have an honest heart, a person who desires to know the truth, and Cornelius being a good man, he opened his mind to the preaching of Christ. You have to have an open mind. He learned about Jesus' earthly ministry. He learned how He demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit, how He went about doing good and, and healing the sick, Acts 10.37. He learned how Peter was an eyewitness to the great miracles that Jesus had performed and how He fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. Finally, He learned how the people had rejected His message and how He had murdered Him, how He hung Him on the cross, but, 
but how God had brought life back to his body and how he walked out of the tomb three days later, Acts 10, 38 through 40, and how he had triumphed over death. But that wasn't the first time that Peter had contrasted what the people had done to him, but what Jesus had done for the people. He told those facts to those gathered together at the sermon on Pentecost, and he relayed them again to those gathered together, the one recorded for us in Acts chapter 3. But it was Christ who said His blood would be given freely for many for the remission of sins, Matthew 26, 28. If Cornelius was going to gain the victory in Christ, he would have to accept Jesus as the source of salvation. Not the Jewish religion. He was going to have to give up what he was used to. He was going to have to recognize that he had been following the wrong religion. You see, Jesus must be accepted because, in the words of Paul, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. All who live now or all who have ever lived will be presented to Christ on the great judgment day. Cornelius opened his mind to the gospel plan of salvation and that is why Peter ordered. He made an order. While the words were still being preached, a miracle happened. Now this was out of the ordinary. Again, we're going back to the time of the miraculous. Now keep in mind, these were Gentiles. Never before had a Gentile been been brought into the church. So there had to be a sign. There had to be something from heaven showing God's approval that the Gentiles were being brought and added to the church. So they began to speak in tongues. Those are foreign languages. They began to speak in a language that they had never previously learned. And that was God's sign. Luke recorded... The Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household and they began to speak in foreign languages, Acts 10, 45-46. And that was only the second time recorded for us that that ever happened. The first time was on the day of Pentecost when, uh, when the, the, uh, the apostles did that. They began to speak in languages they had never previously learned and, and all those people who had gathered on the day of Pentecost heard them speak in their native tongues their native language. At no other time before or since did a person ever receive miraculous abilities without the apostles laying hands on them. Acts 5 verse 12. And the last apostle died about 2,000 years ago. So we don't, ha- we don't do that anymore. That doesn't happen. But that was a sign of God saying, I accept the Gentiles. And that's good news for us because that's what we are. And that miracle was necessary because Peter was going to have to go back to Jerusalem. He was going to have to explain what happened and say, God has accepted the Gentile into the church. Peter knew God was no respecter of persons, Acts 10.34, but this miracle allowed him to speak with even greater confidence as he said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, 
which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we, Acts 10.47. He then ordered them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, Acts 10.48. Now don't forget the purpose for Cornelius sending for Peter, right? He needed to hear words by which he might be saved, Acts 11, verse 14. Now he heard how he and his family could gain salvation. And they were added to the Lord's church, Acts 2.47. That happens when one is baptized into Christ. When they come into contact with His blood, Romans 6, 3 and 4. When they follow the example of a good man. When they repent of their past sins, Acts 2.38. When they confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8.37 when they're immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 22.16. And that's the account of Saul of Tarsus after having prayed for three days and Ananias coming in and saying, Saul, Saul, why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And that was the same answer Peter gave those on the day of Pentecost. When they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.37. And it's still the same answer today. Of course, after obeying the gospel, Cornelius and his friends urged Peter to stay on for several days. And you know it was several days of of joy and enthusiasm after having become children of God. Questions and answers, more teaching so they could abound in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Here's the thing, no one could ever deny that Cornelius was a good man. No doubt his family were good people. But we can also see he was still in need of something. He was lost. He needed those words by which he could be saved. He couldn't pray his way to salvation. He couldn't get there simply by being a good man. He had to obey the gospel plan of salvation. And that's what he did. So not only was he a good man, he became a saved man. And that's what God wants for all of us. Obey the gospel today, whether you've done it initially, or maybe you have and fallen away and you need to come back through repentance and prayer and confession of sin. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.